Let's just open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this morning. Can you just stop for a second and try to <clears throat> gear down just a little bit? And maybe struggling this morning. You may be going through some, maybe some depression or just tell the Lord right now. Just tell the Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day. What, an, what a time to be alive. And Lord, it, this life is a struggle. You said it was going to be a struggle. It's full of tribulation and trial, Lord, but there's a beauty in our relationship with you, Father, and we just thank you. We thank you so much for your spirit and for salvation and for, and for your church, you know, that we can come together and love one another and be Jesus to one another, Lord, and be with us this morning. And we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, I was at a wedding last week, and it was not my own. Uh, I, I told you that. We married off a daughter. We married off a daughter up just north of Santa Barbara. And, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to f still trying to figure out whether I lost a daughter or I gained a son. You know, I've never had a son. I got a lot of daughters. I don't have any sons. I guess I have a son now. So uh, they're up in San Francisco, and some of you know they actually got a job, but they got a job here in the desert. So they're coming back to the desert. And a lot of you are supporters of King's School, and they're going to be both working at King's School, the Christian school over there in Palm Springs. So uh, we get, we'll have them for part of the Church of the Red Door on an ongoing basis. So I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but I just thought you'd be fascinated by all that. You know? So, uh, yeah, pictures, pictures. Yeah, we'll get some. So it was, it was a great time. I hated to be away from you, but it was sure nice being 69 degrees, I'll tell you that much. It was nice. So I am um, uh, hopping on a flight here right after service and uh, headed up to Seattle for all of our live streamers in Seattle. So I was speaking for C3. You remember Jamie Winship, and he was involved in C3. It's uh, business, for, business men forums for businessmen in Seattle. They have about 50 forums, and that asked me to come speak uh, at their, one of their gatherings. And so I'll do that Monday night, and I said, well, if I'm up there, we got a lot of church at the Red Door people that are clearly not here now this time of year and that are up there. Tuesday, not many people, you know, traffic and all that kind of thing. And Bob Thompson, who's leading our ambassador program, sent me a text the other day and said 128 people are signed up. And that was, that was I don't know how many days ago. So, yeah, isn't that crazy? So uh, we may have that. May, I may see more CRD people then than I do, you know, this morning. So, uh, anyway, uh, looking forward to being with all of our Seattle Northwestern <laughs> folks. And... Um, Anyway, it's all good. It's all good. Now, <clears throat> I told you that I was going to finish this. I don't know if you guys, if you actually read that, this whole series on Ephesians. I'm not so sure that's going to happen, but we're going to try. We're, we're going to try. We're going to try. Can you imagine? We have gone. I know some people say it takes so long to get through this, but you be, I hope you begin to understand and realize that the, this Bible, though it seems like a bunch of disparate letters written over hundreds of years, is so one piece. It's a narrative. There is a narrative here, and it is so interconnected as to be uh, impossible to be written by man. I mean, it really is. I mean, it was penned by man, but it was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. It's just fascinating. I'm continually amazed as we we'll look at this morning just of the prophets. I think if I was known for anything, I'm not known for much, but if, if my ministry had any kind of earmark, it would be that I spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Why? Because Again, as I've told you so many times, it's such an anchor for me intellectually because I began to think, well, you know, who knows, you know, people don't know. And I'm reading a book right now saying we basically don't have, can't have that much confidence in what we think about stuff because, because we're so deluded and that we have memories that we have to fill things in and we create narratives that don't exist and all this. And so I was into psychology when I was at Rice and I still am. I'm fascinated with all that stuff. 
<clears throat> and so I would think, well, you know, maybe Jesus came along after all, uh, you know, and he, he was a guy and he, he talked some, you know, some kind of Confucius kind of language and, you know, love your brother and, you know, the golden rule kind of stuff and all that. And then he, and then he died and, and then, it, and then much later, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years later, they began to formulate and fill in the blanks and create a narrative that he himself never actually created whatsoever. And, and I actually, be honest with you, I, I don't know that I would be standing here before you today had I not had the Old Testament, which was able to corroborate everything that I read in the New Testament, not only corroborate it, but actually begin to unpack it in advance, which is very fascinating for me that the Old Testament gives us everything in advance from the smallest detail in the Levitical law, from from the offerings, you know, the five offerings of the Levitical law, the, gre- the grain offerings and the meal offerings and the peace offerings and then the sin offerings and guilt offerings and all the, all the Levitical s- system and all the ceremonial law and the sacrificial system. And you look at all that and you go, that's just so irrelevant for us today. And yet Christ fulfilled every little piece of it. And that to me is very intellectually compelling in those moments that I start to kind of drift into that hiss of the snake. Has God really said that? We talked about that. We've talked about it many times. That was the very first temptation. So when I come and we, we take this long route through Ephesians and how long it takes and we just get, you know, it feels like we're not going very far. And some of you men sit in on a Thursday morning group I teach and and we take each week is about one proverb, and then we go all over the Bible. So you can see, I hope you're beginning to see that this is a very compelling book because it's, the, it's been sold more copies of the Bible than any other book times a million. I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but it's extraordinary. It's always still the number one bestseller every year from what I've read with the exception of one year where one of the Harry Potter books sold more worldwide than the Bible. Only one, but in the last how many every years this still continuously sells outsells every other book times uh, whatever it is, and, and you wonder why, because there's power in it, and it takes us a while to unpack it. We consider, I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus here, or you're watching online or whatever, and maybe you're not quite a follower of Jesus yet, but we consider every word precious, not just, uh, well, like I can kind of buy that, kind of not buy that. We consider every word precious and that it is given to us by God. It's, a, it's, it's an act of faith, I'll be honest with you, but it's an act of faith that has now over many years in my own experience been, well, it's justified act of faith. It is over many years. So we're going to try to conclude these last few passages. Well, it's just, it's just the end. He says a little prayer, pray for me, and, you know, here's a guy I'm going to send to you, Tychicus, and, and he's going to ha- tell you a few things, and, and that's it. And then grace and peace be with you. But if we start to unpack that, there's always a lot to it, and hopefully we can get through at least part of it. So I need to finish my introduction. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start here in verse 18, and then go through 24. We're going to read all the the concluding part of this letter to the Ephesians. Verse 18 says, with all prayer and petition, we're going to see a distinction between the two. Pray at all times. Pray at all times. How do you do that? In the spirit, what does that mean? Does that mean a prayer language? What does that mean? And praying all times. And I wouldn't want to be with somebody that was praying in a prayer language all the time, would you? I mean, that would be pretty. Is that what he's talking about? Or, well, maybe I. We'll talk about that. And with this in, my, in view, 
Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now, from what we just learned a little bit earlier in this chapter, why be on alert? Because there is an enemy. And he, he, he devises plans to, if he can't keep you from having a relationship with Jesus, he would love to wipe you out, wipe out your platform, wipe out your witness, wipe out anything that he could. So but just be, would you please be on, really persevering with me is what Paul's saying. And, and pray on my behalf, by the way, pray for me, would you, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He says this is a mysterious thing, this gospel. Talk a little bit about that as well. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I should be bold, but what's he saying? Pray for me because sometimes maybe I'll get in a conversation and I'll... You would think the apostle Paul would never back down. He was so bold and so courageous and all that. But he's saying, you know, there are times maybe, maybe he's kind of... This is a confessional of sorts. You know, just pray that I'm bold all the time and that I don't get... To in, a, in a little dinner party or something, and the topic comes up, and then I wilt because, well, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, and I don't want to, you know, I, I think even Paul had to pray for a little bit of courage at various moments to go ahead and be the man that God had called him to be. Then he goes on to say, in closing, but that you also may know about my circumstances, uh, and I want you to know how I'm doing. Remember, he's writing this from prison. So if you're in despair this morning, uh, your circumstances are probably not as dire as his were in the writing of this letter. He said, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. In other words, I've got a team here. I've got, I am super connected with a lot of people here. And uh, I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and he may comfort your hearts. It says, peace be to the brothers, the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Jesus with incorruptible love. Now, anytime you have the concluding moment, I mean, he doesn't know. Is he going to make it through this? Is he going to get through this prison? Is he going to spend the rest of his life in this situation? I mean, you got to realize Paul's not Jesus. Paul's not God at this point. He prays. I'm sure he has a vision. He knows kind of the direction I think he knew that ultimately he would end up in Rome. I mean, there were some things he was confident of, but like anything, you feel like the Lord said something to you, but are you, you know, are you sure that's going to come to pass? Maybe I'm just going to die here. I, I think he, he was fully human being here. I mean, Paul, I mean, he was, he was not just the super saint. He was a super saint, but he was not just the super saint. He struggled with things too. These are his concluding words. Maybe they'll be his last words. Now, we know they weren't his last words, but maybe they would be. He certainly had to be confronted with those thoughts. And he was so concerned about them. You know, I just find that fascinating. We live in such a world that everybody's so concerned about themselves. Their money, their time, their vacations, their this, their that. And it's hard to get outside yourself. But you know when you do, you feel so good about it. When your life is consumed with the well-being of others, you flourish. And when it becomes so self-contained, you tend to wither. It happens to me, as a pastor, I realize, I mean, I'm always dealing with other people, but I can, I can be nice to you and this and that. I may still be self-concerned. And yet he was living a life that was so other-focused 
even in prison. I find that extraordinary, and I find that compelling, and I find that to be a path that I want to walk down as well. It's my intention to be that way. So we essentially see that he says, look, I need you people to pray, and I need you to be directed by the Holy Spirit. I, I need your prayers, is what he's saying, right? I need to be bold in proclaiming this different gospel. There were a lot of gospels being preached, by the way. And I see myself. I have an identity as an ambassador and other things. I have multiple identities, but primarily as an ambassador. And I have a trusted crew I run with. And they're going to care about you. And they're going to deliver some things to you. I can't be everywhere at the same time. Tychicus, he'll come. He'll, he'll talk to you about this. And I just want you guys to have peace. I really do. I mean, I, I want you to have love with faith. I, I want you to walk in grace. And that love, by the way, I want that love to be incorruptible. I can be honest. When I pray for you, and I pray for you individually, as the Lord will bring you to my hearts, many of you I pray for, some I'm getting to know, I pray for you as a congregation, all of our extended family, whether they're here three, four weeks out of the year or whether they're here all year round. I, I pray for you. I know there are many people praying for you. Mike leading the prayer team and all that prayer team praying for you constantly. And these are things that we pray for you. Father, that they would, I just want them to have peace. I want them to love each other with a love that's incorruptible. Father, that's what I'm asking you for Church at the Red Door. If you, Lord, would you do that? I and where do I get that? I get that as a, well, I get it from Paul right here. It just It's very clear to me. How do you pray? And it gives me some railroad tracks for my mind to go down on how I would even be able to pray for you. Certainly, there are individual needs that each one of you have, and I certainly can't pray for all of those, and nor could Paul or Randy or the teams or anything else. But we, as they come up, we want to know about them, and we do pray. And every time I get something, I get down on my knees in my office very often, I I got an awful text this week that uh, somebody in our congregation had potentially had liver cancer and it just broke my heart. And what do you do? I just get down on my knees in my office and I start to pray. For what? For grace to walk through this, for peace, that they wouldn't be freaking out, for, for their love not to somehow diminish for Christ because they're going through crisis, that it would be an incorruptible love, something that no situation would ever bring down and I began to pray those things where do you get that you get it from Paul because that's how he prayed and and I and I like that and that that's very meaningful to me so let's go back let's talk about this praying at all times what does that mean I mean praying at all times is that I mean I'm not even praying right now I'm just talking so I, obviously I'm not fulfilling the biblical admonition to pray at all times I don't think that that's what that's saying although First Thessalonians, Paul does write to the church at Thessalonica. He says, pray without ceasing. Again, he says, I, you know, I'm praying without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean to verbalize or does it mean, you know, I'm so closely connected to the Father, I kind of have an ongoing dialogue with him throughout the day. And I live a lifestyle that I feel so connected with. And we think of prayer always as what? Talking. Don't we? Don't we always think if I'm going to pray, I've got to be saying something and certainly petition is part of prayer but notice he says in the beginning he says with all prayer and petition now petition is asking requesting something from God that's a petition we're asking we're petitioning God for something that we want to see him intervene in in our lives but prayer is the dialogue that's the connectivity that's the umbilical cord to you know to the father where you're getting that substance you we'll see that in a minute in John 15 I'm the vine and you're the branch and you know 
know, you've got to abide in me. It's that abiding that I think Paul is really getting at. It's prayerful. I'm, in a sense, praying. In other words, I don't compartmentalize my life and I come on Sunday and I'm prayerful or worshipful. And then I go back to the office and I'm the, you know, the shark. I'm just like shark tank, you know. I'm, I'm in there to defeat all the enemy and, and wipe out the competition and whatever. And then, oh, yeah, Saturday night I start thinking, well, oh, my gosh, tomorrow I've got to meet with God. So I start putting on my holy clothes and all this kind of thing or my holy attitude or put on a smile or whatever. Paul's just saying, no, carry that same at, at attitude, that thankfulness. You know, are you walking down the streets and just saying, you know, you, you look up and go, what a beautiful day. Include God in that. God, thank you for this day. I'm just telling you, it enlivens that. You know, when we, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a water guy. I'm just not. Because I almost drowned in, when I was in Acapulco one time because I didn't know about, you know, currents, that the riptide that pulls you back out. And I got caught in one of those. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, and the waves were 30 feet high. And in my mind, they were. And he says, no, I don't think that's how high they are in Acapulco. That's really, really, really high. I said, no, 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 they were at least 30 feet. I'm telling you. That's my mind told me it was 30 feet. They were maybe 10 feet high, which is still, you know, and they'd crash and go down, and I'd get, and I'm not a water guy. So when I go to the ocean, I'm like, you know, God, I know you did that, but I'm not that appreciative of that. I mean, I like looking at it and all, but I don't want to go in it because there's fish and things like that in there that want to bite at me and things like that. And I don't want that. But when I go, but when I, boy, when I get even close to the Rocky Mountains, my heart just, you know, I become extraordinarily prayerful without even really being conscious that I am. It's just, I'm just moving along and I, and I see, you know, we, for years, I, we were in Aspen. I worked there for quite a few number of years. And every year, you'd kind of, you'd go through, and Utah's beautiful and all that. I mean, that's beautiful. Southern Utah's fantastic and all that. But once we finally make the corner at Glenwood Springs and start working up 82, going up towards, you know, basalt and this, and it'd get a little higher and a little higher. And, then, of course, the temperature starts to go. And then that cool breeze and those afternoon showers about 3 o'clock, and the clouds began to build. And you might even see a little lightning. And. You'd open a window and a cool breeze would blow through and hopefully you're near a stream and you hear that, you know, it's just, I can't imagine what it would be like to not, in, to be experiencing that with a conscious awareness of God. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Sunsets here in the Coachella Valley where sun rises very often when I go early to a Bible study and I'm headed west down 111. And, and I can, the sun's behind me, and it's, but it shines on those mountains and this, glory, you know, if there's a few clouds from the night. It just, I, I experience that. That's praying without ceasing. I'm not having to say a word, but I am so connected. That's not pantheism. God's not in the rocks. He's not the rocks or the trees or anything. He's the creator of all of it. And I experience him in nature. And I'm sure many of you had those experiences. Some of you may be here this morning and you experience that and you go, that's really beautiful. But, you know, but oh, that you, it, boy, it draws me towards the creative brilliance of God himself. And there's prayer in that. And in your rugged, you know, your rugged, just day-to-day activities of, you know, whatever it is, whether you're washing clothes or you're, Having to drop somebody off, you know, or just go to your normal, what you may consider a mundane job or whatever it is. Just whatever that is, that's all enlivened with God with you. That praying, that, uh, that never ceasing, abiding, 
that, that very intentional lifestyle. You can be in a horrible situation, and I, and I have been. My parents, when they, they came for the wedding, they, it, it broke my heart for them because my sister struggles to travel, and she just was barely able to get there, you know, and it was pretty tough on her, and she wasn't able to come to the, to the uh, rehearsal dinner and so she could be there at the wedding. And so I knew it was going to be difficult for them to get back, and then they went from there. They had a flight from Santa Barbara to Phoenix and then Phoenix to back to Dallas. And so when they did, they got stuck in Phoenix weather. They sat on the tarmac for three hours. Stay on the tarmac for five minutes is hard for me. I start bouncing off the walls, you know, with that little ADHD that I have. And, but three hours. And then they, had, then they had to get off, finally, after sitting on the tarmac for three hours and wait and wait and wait. And then finally they canceled their flight. And then it's Sunday, and we can't get you to Dallas from Phoenix until Wednesday. So now they're going to have to rent. So I can't, you know, and then, and then they end up having to buy all new airline tickets and fly from Phoenix to Detroit. <laughs> Not Detroit, Texas. Detroit, Michigan. And then fly into a whole nother airport and then Uber from Love Field all the way back to where their car was at Dallas-Fort Worth. And they, two days later, they got in at midnight. Can you pray during a time like that? You can, you can you know, stomp your feet and say, God, why does this happen? But I've been in those situations. I've sat through as much travel as I've done through the years. I've sat through airports, you know, middle of the night, missed a flight, canceled, da-da-da-da-da. There's something beautiful about just knowing, well, God, you're sovereign, and maybe there's somebody I can meet here at 3 o'clock in the morning at the airport in Chicago, which I've been at 3, 4 o'clock in the airport in Chicago. Sometimes I have an awareness, a keen awareness of that, that praying without ceasing, and sometimes I disconnect, and I take it all to myself, and I lose my peace, and I lose my comfort. And I may miss out that maybe God wanted to have me share the gospel boldly with somebody that might be in the same plight, and I was unaware of it, and through my own knuckleheadedness and my own fog of fury, maybe I missed that opportunity. I never forget a, a woman who I will forever cherish. Uh, she went to be with the Lord quite a long time ago, but she had cancer, and she, she considered every time that she went that the Lord had allowed this, and she was going to lead as many of the doctors and nurses and chemo people and everything to the Lord, and she did. She was extraordinary till the day she went to be with Jesus. That's praying without ceasing, Okay. Now, should we up our time that we actually do talk to God? Yes, but remember, most of prayer is listening. God doesn't need your help in running the universe, but he needs you to be on his plan, on the same page with him. And as I've told you many times, prayer is much more about discovery than it is telling God what to do. Petition is asking according to his will, but prayer is just that lifestyle of we're tight. We're tight. So do that without ceasing, and I think that's what he's referring to. What does it also mean to do this in the Spirit? Now, I don't think this excludes. I read quite a few different commentaries on this, and 
some that I really respect. And I think they all kind of agreed. Not necessary, depending on what, you know, uh, uh, Church of the Red Door, by the way, are we charismatic, non-charismatic? Well, we're just a big pile of people who love Jesus. I mean, that's what we are. And we pile up here and we've got all kinds of people. We've got Catholic people and we've got, uh, you know, we've got all kinds. Of, and we have Jewish people that come and, and, and sit with us and think about Jesus as the possibility of the Messiah. And you now we're, fix, we're fixated on Jesus here. We very much are. But so we have charismatics, non-charismatics, you know, whatever all that, those, you know, clarifications are. But some would say, and Paul said, I desire that you would speak in tongues, you know, and that you would prophesy in some of these things. And so maybe it is in some ways a prayer language if you're uh, a charismatic and that's a prayer language and, and you want to do that in a very consistent way. I, I don't think that's specifically what Paul, if you were to ask me, what he may be referring to here, praying in the Spirit, I think it's just being led by the Holy Spirit, and he's doing the work in your prayer, and he's leading, guiding, and directing, whether or not you're speaking in a prayer language or not speaking in a prayer language, okay? So when it says to pray in the Holy Spirit, by all means, right? If you have a, a gift of tongues and you want to pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. But if, if you just, you, you don't have to have that. You can you can be a person who just prays according to the will of the Father, being led and directed by the Holy Spirit. I am totally, totally dependent on God in prayer. And he might say, well, you don't depend on me very much. I know, Jesus. I, I know I don't always do that so well, but I'm intentional about being led by the Spirit. Who should I pray for today, Lord? Who, who needs help? Where, where can we go here? And there's some things that I repeatedly pray and have, and there's, there's certain petitions that I've had for 25 years, salvation for people that I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and it's not yet, but... The Bible says, ask and keep on asking. So to pray in the Spirit to me is, in the, the overarching principle here is that you would pray and be led by the Holy Spirit as you pray. Don't come, we can come boldly before the throne, we know from Hebrews chapter 4, for what Jesus has done. But it's still a sacred place, the prayer room. And we don't come in with, hey, big guy upstairs, you know. I mean, look, there's a balance here in both being a child and also being respecting your father in an earthly way. You know, I still, I want my girls to feel the full freedom and now I guess son, right, to, to run in and hug and, and, and to be bold and come and ask and talk and all those kinds of things. But it still kind of bugs me when I, when some, maybe one of my kids call me dude or hey dude or something like that, just because it's kind of, you know, I, I don't know, this, there still needs to be, there's a sacredness to it, and there's also, are you following me? So there's boldness, and we have access, and we're kids, of, but we also have to realize who we're dealing with. Dealing with the creator of all things who's more holy than we can ever imagine. And I think we miss that in the Western church today. We miss some of the sacredness of who God, who we're really dealing with. So come boldly, but also come meekly, I know, and somehow you marry those two, and I think that's important. So praying in the Spirit, I think, will always guide you to do that, all right? So the next part of this is I think it's, he's just saying, look, my ministry needs you. In other words, I want to proclaim the gospel. I, I, want, to, I want all of this, but we need to all be pulling here. Uh, this is not just about me and my ministry. Paul is realizing that this is very much about us, about the body of Christ. And he ends in that, in most of his letters, as we'll see later, probably next week, deal with all these peripheral people that you may not know anything about, Gaius and, you know, and 
who are these people? Aristarchus and Barnabas and some, some we know. We kind of know Barnabas a little bit, but there's a lot of other. You know, Chloe, who are these people? Who are all these peripheral people? Some we know. We got to kind of fill in the blanks, but he's very interdependent with these people. Who is Tychicus? Why does he finish this whole letter out? I'm sending Tychicus. Who's, how did he get hooked up in this gig? Right? Where did this come from? He does realize that he needs Jesus, you know? 1 Peter 4, 10 just says that uh, we all have a gift and employ it in serving one another. In other words, we all got to pull some here, and you've got to be cognizant that you're part of a pulling team. And he is, I think, here. Now I want to throw something out, and you may, not or may, not buy, you may or may not buy this as a propositional statement here, but I want to try to at least back it up. So we talk often about a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, some of the, to some of you, that's new terminology. You've never really had that. You've, the, maybe you're part of a church that's been very uh, liturgical and things, and this idea of really this interconnectedness with God on an ongoing basis, like a personal relationship, is something new to you. Now, to many of you, that's not new to you at all. You've been hearing that for many, many years. But I want you to think about practically what that actually entails, well, how do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? So if I were just to have people get up and line up and grab the microphone, tell us about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus practically, not, not all the outworkings and everything and how it makes you feel and all that. Practically, how do you do that? Well, we just talked about part of it is prayer and petition. We know that's true. We know that Jesus is the word become flesh. And so when we read this, we're kind of like having a relationship with Jesus because he's the word, right? I think all that's fair. But what about this as it relates to what Paul's saying here? You know, I'm asking you guys, I need you to do some pulling for me. Derek sent uh, one of our guys in AV back here. Derek sent me a little thing this morning. It was perfect for what it was. And it was like this, these guys were all carrying this little, uh, this little uh, whatever it is, this little log or something. And there was like four of them. And they were all walking along and there was this crevasse crevice or whatever crevasse and then they were all stepping and so they would step over it and then as one would you each one would take a step and it would be out into the air but they were all holding this log so each one as they would go alone they would fall down that you know god knows where that goes but each one of them would go along and then they would walk across but they were each holding each one so each as each one went over they were holding on and and so they they just kept, they just floated right across you know it was really a cool picture and he sent that to me this morning and i go that's a perfect demonstration of being one as the body now i'm going to i'm going to throw this out to you you want a personal relationship with jesus how would you do that how would you like to have a personal relationship with me but the only part of me that you could have would be like my head that's kind of gross but just my head in a jar and so you took my head in a jar and he said, you know, I'd like to, we'd like to have dinner tomorrow night. And I said, you know, this and that. And I said, well, I really can't have dinner because I don't have a digestive system. I mean, I could eat it, but it wouldn't, you know, I don't know where it goes. So I'm just going to have, I'm going to send my head and it's just going to, hopefully you'll be able to, you know, have a good time. I won't be able to, you're going to have a hard time reading any body language because I don't have a body. So you're just going to have to take and, and you say, well, that's just morbid. I mean, that's gross. But in a sense, what do we know about the body of Christ? Where, who is the body of Christ? And who's the head of the, of the church? Who's the head? Jesus is the head. So I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't need the body. Think about that for a second. The body. 
John 15, Jesus, as we know, abide in me and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we each want to be fruitful, and we're going to have a relationship with just the head. And yet we don't, we don't have a relationship with the body. I think about all the fruitfulness in my life. Can I tell you, I look back over 20-plus-odd years of doing ministry, and people say, well, tell us about your ministry. I never even can say my ministry. It just sounds too weird. It's always been a collective. Always. It has to be. If it was my ministry, I might be in front of 10 guys down at a country club somewhere years ago. There certainly wouldn't be 250, 300 groups now with links around the country. Certainly wouldn't be a church like this with my ministry. I play a role in employing my gift, but I'm always interconnected with his body so that we're all doing the pulling. And then I'm fruitful as a function of being connected with Jesus. But to be connected with Jesus is to be connected with his body. I believe that's true. Colossians 1.18 says, He's the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will have first place in everything. Let me be clear. Jesus has absolute first place in everything, and he is the head. And the head has the brain, and the brain tells the hands and everything else what to do. That's clear. Jesus is the head. Colossians then 1.24 says, Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So we have the head of the church is Christ, but his body, well, it's you, if you're a follower of Jesus. So if I want to, and catch this, if I want to have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus, I need to have a personal relationship with his church, because that's his body. I know that sounds funny. But practically, it's so true. I think about how Jesus has loved you over the last year. Is it a feeling you get in prayer? Yeah, those are certainly true. Is it something you read in the Word? Absolutely. Jesus spoke to me when I was reading this, and I was going through a really hard time. and I felt like the Holy Spirit just led me to this verse, and it really powerfully impacted me. But I'll bet you, if you're connected to his church, you will go back and go, but yeah, when... When Sally called me in the middle of that thing in the night and I was in such despair and she called me at the exact right moment, you felt like it was Jesus who called you, right? When you were struggling and you needed a word, you needed something that was going to encourage you and then, you know, you went to one of Pastor Paul's groups or something and, and he spoke on something and you were like, Jesus spoke to me. But if you're not connected with Pastor Paul, Jesus has a hard time doing that so I'm just saying a part of you having a personal relationship with Jesus I think that's what he's getting at here I need you guys would you pray for me I can't even be bold I want to turn and you know be like a, a wet noodle over here uh, but I need some boldness you know and he even talked about it. he says I'm not that articulate in public and he goes I'm not that impressive to look at Paul said I struggle with insecurity. I think if you read between the lines, I, I don't feel like I'm some big, you know, apostle. I mean, I have an identity as being an ambassador, but I also have some insecurities here. But boy, does it help. I, but I've got all these. I've got my crew. You watch what happens in junior high. 
if you've got a young man, you know, 12, 13 years old, and he's walking down, and say you're early in junior high years, what's that, 7th, 8th, and 9th? I don't know how it all works, but that was a, that's the way it was when I was a kid. 7th graders, they don't, some have body hair, but most don't. Yeah, you know, I mean, and you're just kind of awkward and gawky, and you're kind of walking down there, you know. And then, you know, I was just trying to avoid the ninth graders, which were men. You know, these are men. I mean, these guys have sideburns and all this other kind of stuff. And I'd be kind of like, whoa, you know, oh, and, you know, you kind of go along the, you know, just trying not to get killed. But then I'd be with my, my homies, you know, and, and then and I just walk out with my chair. Especially if they were bigger than me. And most were when I was in junior high. I was a late bloomer. So what I'm saying is you just feel so much more confident when we're together. I think we all know that. I think that's what Paul's demonstrating here. We can pull a lot more weight together. And to me, that is having a personal relationship with Jesus in part. I can do that alone with Jesus through prayer and word. And, but boy, when I need that physical touch, that hug, that, that partner in Christ, those people who will carry me when I'm down, who will lift me up and yeah, that's Christ. It is, but it's Christ through his body. And that means a lot to me. So let's talk about this. I pray about the mystery of the gospel. Author John Dixon says something. It's fascinating to me, and I never realized this, to be honest with you. He talks about there were actually many gospels in the Greco-Roman world that preceded and were being preached before Jesus. I didn't really realize that they actually called them gospels. Gospel, as we know, just means good news. It's a proclamation. It's a heralding of great news. So listen to what he says. He says the four accounts of Jesus' life, well, they're clearly called gospels. And they are for a reason because the gospel means good or grand news. And it is a word freighted with meaning. While today we are used to hearing it used in Christian parlance, gospel was a word with a long history in both Greco-Roman and Jewish cultures. Now catch this, archaeology of the gospel. One powerful example of the pre-Christian usage of the term gospel comes from a decree dating to just before the birth of Jesus. We have records of gospels that were existing during and preceding the birth of Jesus. It was common to announce important or surprising events, especially ones relating to great leaders, as gospels. The military victories of generals, significant weddings, and the ascensions to the throne of the emperors, Gaius Caligula and Vespasian, these were all formally declared as gospels. Formally. These are gospels. A particularly important example is the decree of Paulus Fabius Maximus, an official in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, demanding that Emperor Augustus should be honored for his, for his great achievements, for the, the good news or gospels he brought to the world by resetting the official calendar. Sound familiar? So that it coincided with his year of birth, 63 B.C. The decree made in 9 B.C. was proclaimed throughout the region and inscribed on stone monuments in public places. One such inscription has been uncovered in southwest Turkey. It reads like this. Augustus has made war to cease and put everything in peaceful order. And whereas the birthday of our God, the emperor, obviously, signaled the beginning of gospels for the world because of him, Paulus Fabius Maximus, benefactor of the province, has discovered a way to honor Augustus that was hitherto unknown among the Greeks, namely to reckon time from the date 
of his birth. The resetting of a calendar around the date of birth of a universally important figure has some resonance with the decision 500 or so years later to reckon time from the date of Jesus' birth. Most of us have forgotten Emperor Augustus, and we use B.C. before Christ and A.D. in the year of our Lord on a nearly daily basis. More striking is the way gospel is used in this inscription. I find that fascinating. Augustus described here as divine, brought peace into a world in great torment. His achievement was the cause of many gospels that as a result have spread throughout the world. The historical reach of the gospels of Augustus, however, pales, doesn't it, in comparison to that of the gospel of this little carpenter from Nazareth, who was God in flesh. And then lastly, he goes on to say, the New Testament says it's Jesus who brings the good news, the gospel is the promise of the Old Testament, as I alluded to. The writers of the gospels try to make it plain that they're not simply telling the story of a great man and his teachings. They're telling the news of a prophesied, longed-for Messiah. And that, and that gospel eclipsed all the gospels of Rome. Now, you've got to realize this is the time Paul is writing this letter. He said there are a lot of gospels out there and there was great political pressure to not preach a gospel of a king who's come into the earth to transform those who were willing to live under his rule and reign. That is treasonous. And we know that most of the apostles gave their lives, pretty much all but John, and John gave his life. He was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. They gave their lives because they were preaching a gospel and it was mysterious and it was hard to describe. And gospel, as we've said many times in here, folks, uh, the gospel is not God has a plan for your life and wants you to get everything you've ever desired. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came and had to die because we were massively, irreconcilably separate from the creator of the universe he was so holy and we were so unholy, it required a sacrificial lamb. And through that lamb, we now have access to his kingdom. Access to his kingdom doesn't mean that we spend all of his money and we're as, in, as part of the inheritance. But we do have an inheritance, but this inheritance is an eternal one kept in heaven. That's what we learned in Ephesians 1, right? And so now we understand that the true gospel is that we have... We have the right to be his children and to live under his rule and reign now. That's the gospel. That doesn't carry, does it? In a culture like ours, it doesn't carry much. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. And we'll see that in a minute as his identity, ambassador in chains. I mean, come on. This is about freedom. This is about celebrating. I feel this way, therefore I'm going to actualize, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm going to self-actualize. I'm going to do everything I've ever felt, and that's my life. And if, the, if God can help me have everything that I feel like I want today, then I'll maybe listen to a few more words, but that's not the gospel. And so, so not only did, did Paul have this challenge of speaking the mystery of this gospel of just the basic quality is that even if you were in a free place, he would also had the compounded necessity of speaking the gospel and he could be thrown in prison because he's talking about a gospel that would triumph over, in his words, every other gospel that had been preached. And them was fighting words because back then, if there was any kind of sedition or any kind of 
any of that, I'm just telling you, it didn't last long. They could easily, well, they could just crucify people and hang them up beside the road and say, well, you don't want to go down that road. You don't want to preach against the, the God, Augustus. Can you see the, why he needed prayer? Now, we don't, I don't know that there's anybody in here, myself included, that goes into a culture that was going to preach the gospel. Now, I can be ostracized. I can be socially cast out. I can be marginalized by our culture and all that. But I still haven't gone to prison for the gospel. And Paul is saying, I need help to be bold. I need help to be courageous. I'm sick of being a guy. I don't know. I'm, trust me, I'm not putting this off on Paul. I'm speaking this as I don't want to be the guy that shrinks away from every conversation. I don't want to be the guy, well, you know, do you go to that church at the Red Door? Oh, well, we went there once, but he's a little weird. You know, it's, I'm not, but I'm just saying, will you stand up and say, yeah, Jesus is the Lord. He's the king. He's the creator of all things. And through him comes life. We need each other. Paul needed, Paul needed that. He really did. So have you embraced the true gospel? Or have you embraced one that says, well, you know, good people, we come together and we do good things. and We feed the poor and we do all kinds of great things. And, you know, we're just a bunch of good people. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Are you willing to preach the gospel in a culture that doesn't have ears to hear, maybe, at this time in history? But my experience has been that people still react because it's supernatural. The mysteries of the gospel will last and last and they'll go far beyond Augustus or any other good gospel that's being preached out there today. They may be not, maybe not called gospels anymore. Oh, but there are many gospels being preached in our culture today. Are you willing to say, would you help me? Would you pray for me to be courageous to preach the mystery of this gospel? Jesus Christ crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. Those who have faith in him, what did we learn from Ephesians 2, 8, 9? It's by grace through faith. Nothing that you bring to the table. That's powerful, but it's hard, but it's powerful. That's what he was saying. I need help. Now, if Paul needed help, do we need help? I would say we do. I would say we do. So I want to um, wind down here. I'm going to pick up this next week. We're going to talk about the rest of this in terms of identity. And I also want to get more deeply into this concept because it's fascinating to me. In fact, I ordered a book. I have it. I'm going um, to really dig into it this week is when I get back from Seattle but it's talking about all the role players in the Bible, you know, the ones you don't ever hear about. Not the King Davids and the, you know, the Apostle Pauls and all this kind of thing. All these ones that you maybe only get just one little word or one, and most people won't even know their names. Sosthenes, I mean, do you know that? Do you know who that is? Do you know Gaius? Do you know what Gaius did in the Bible? I mean, do you know any of these guys? Silas, do you know what Silas actually did? Priscilla and Aquila, some people know that, that they were tent makers with Paul, if you know your Bible well. But most on the streets or most in church, they, they couldn't really tell you what they did. These are fascinating, and, th and these people are really important to me. You know why? Because they're important here at Church at the Red Door. You hear my name. All right, I'm up here. You hear Paul, and there's some other people that you hear. i got to tell you, there's some extraordinary people, people I consider way, way more extraordinary than me. They come through those doors every week, and you don't even know their names, and you should. And you should know some of these biblical figures. Many of you, though the, though the story's not known as much, you fascinate me. I'm continuously fascinated by faithful people who never stand up. Nobody really knows that much about them. Can I just tell you this? God knows exactly who you are. 
He knows exactly the number of hours you spend in prayer for this church. He knows exactly the times that you go and spend time calling people and loving people that are in pain or suffering or the, 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 the money that you spend, the time that you spend and the places you go and just to serve the body of Christ right here at Church at the Red Door and beyond Church at the Red Door, the Church of the Valley and even on beyond into Seattle and Denver and Portland, wherever, Chicago and Dallas and every other place that people are. You fascinate me. You are my heroes. I get a lot of attention because I'm up here, but I'm telling you, I know who the real heroes here, and I know it's Jesus in you. I know it's Jesus in you, but you fascinate me. You encourage me. I'm invigorated, but when I see your lifestyles. And so we're going to get into a few of those folks as well, including Tychicus. And none of you would have pronounced it like that, and neither would I if I didn't have a Bible pronunciation app on my phone. So don't think I'm some big scholarly dude. I got to go on a, is this Tychicus who is his, I always forget, and I got to go back and look. And Anyway, so are you going to have a good week? We're going to have a great week. Would you pray for me this week that I would make it, that I would boldly unpack the mysteries of the gospel in Seattle and wherever, and maybe on the plane on the way up there with somebody I'll be sitting next to. You wouldn't want to be that person, would you? <laughs> so we're going to close with this worship. Some of you really were impacted by this song. We're the same one I closed with uh, two weeks ago. Some of you are really impacted by this. The words are so deep. So could we stand as we close with this worship song? And then I'm going to have Pastor Paul come up and close us in prayer.